Good morning. I love you guys. Good morning. I brought props. You see? A prop, and then there's another one up here. It's going to be a secret. And don't let me forget. If you don't hear the, if, if I forget the prop, make sure you remind me. Thank you, Billy, for praying. And wow, I just wanted to stay. Did y'all not just want to stay there forever? I, like, I was just asking, Lord, we're singing, Jesus, you're beautiful. Can you show us? I want to see what you look like. Open my eyes. I want to see what you look like. I'm already crying. Goodness. Um, well, I wanted to start by remem- reminding us all in, that we had a team from our NGO that we have as a part of our church, Acts of Mercy, go to Turkey a couple of weeks ago. If you were on that team, can you stand up if you're here? Um, is anybody from that team here? Oh, there we go. There we go. Okay. just want to honor you. Thank you for your service to Jesus and to the Turkish people. And um, whenever they were there, because it had been several days since the earthquake, I think a lot of them thought that they were going to mostly just be helping serve by moving the debris and the rubble and, like, you know, ministering to the survivors. But a miraculous thing happened, which I'm sure most of you know, is that very late after the earthquake, they, they still were finding people. Had y'all heard about that? And so, and not even, like not even grown adults only, but they were finding children. And I just was thinking this morning about like, if, if you ever have lost something like that you was valuable to you, can somebody just like think right now about everybody, try to think of a time you lost something that was valuable. And it could be a possession or it could be a person, you know, and the, but let's think about it as a possession right now. Like, and not like a person who's gone to be with Jesus, but either like a lost person, like your child at, you know, Walmart or um, who has ever lost a child before accidentally. Okay. Yeah. The feeling you have in that moment is what I'm talking about. I want you to like connect with that feeling or the feeling when you're like, my wedding ring is gone. Oh my gosh. Or, you know, whatever it was. I was with a friend this week, and she was like, I went to go to my car to get my computer. It's gone. You know, and just that feeling. It's like, we'll move on live without the computer, of course, you know, but that feeling. And then, they, and then think about that feeling when it's found, you know, and you're like, yes, I, I found it. I found it. And so how much more when it's these little children, hope was gone. No, I mean, even the greatest faith person out there these, this many days after the earthquake, hope was gone, you know, and they're pulling these people out of the rubble and they're alive. And if you, if you are anywhere near that environment, saved, lost, you know, uh, pure in your heart or evil in your heart, I mean, like, it would be, it would be hard not to rejoice. You know what I'm saying? Like anybody who was there and saw them pull that child out of that rubble would stop and they would rejoice. You know, like, God, they're alive against all odds. And imagine, and there's even stories of these children saying there was a man in white that looked like light that had sourced them, fed them, provided for them. You know, just the miracle of Jesus, like tending for for these folks. It's a a miracle. It's amazing. You know, and yes, let's cheer. It's amazing. And so... That is what I want. I want us to feel that feeling inside of us and know that every time someone chooses to trust in Jesus, that is what all of heaven 
feels like. Every time someone turns and they say, no longer will I trust in my own way. I will turn and trust Jesus. You are my king. You are my redeemer. Every time that happens, all of heaven, that roar of jubilee, of joy, of gratitude, of thanksgiving, the, the surprise, but that you're not really surprised, you know, because you knew it would happen all along. That's what happens every time every time. And so we're seeing right now uh, this big word everybody's talking about is revival, you know, and if you watched Asbury, it's just like, wow, look what God is doing. There's just people that just keep showing up. And even here on our own campus at A&M, just outpouring, people coming, they're coming, they're hungry for God. And I wanted to talk a little bit about revival. Okay. So why, what is it, you know, and when I think about revival, I think about people stepping forward. They're coming forward. They're walking into something. They're showing up, you know? And so let's think about why do people show up at a revival? Like when you have this deal on A&M's campus that's going on, went on for several days in a row, and they were just out there and people just started showing up. They came. Why? What was it that prompted them to come? Does anybody have like one word? Expectation. Questions. They have questions. The Spirit of God prompted them. Okay, so they have hunger in their heart. So now let's switch the question. What do they need? What, what do they need? Hope. Hope. Encouragement. Encouragement. Community. Community. Faith, I think I heard. They need healing. They need Jesus. Yes, that, that is what they need. But there's this hunger in their hearts, maybe conviction over sin, like I can't keep living this way anymore. They've got, they need comfort. They're being called by God. They need a miracle. They need forgiveness. I feel so, so sick for, in my heart over what I've done. I'm grieved over my sin. I need somebody to say, I forgive you. Has anybody ever felt that way? I have. Like, I did this wrong. I, I, I'm so, so sorry. I really need you to hear you say, I forgive you, you know? And Jesus is the one, he, he came to this life. You, he came to this world. So in the beginning, there was God and, and he, he, the word Jesus was with God and the Holy Spirit was with God. So you have this beautiful Trinity, three in one. And at the beginning, before the world was created, they were there. They are the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end. Never did anything exist without God. And then God created the earth and the heavens and everything in it with his words, the power of his word going forth and creating. And then from the dust of the earth, he like scooped it up and he created man. And then he said, it is not good for man to be alone. Amen. It isn't good for man to be alone. So any single man in this room of marrying age, it isn't good for you to be alone. Look around. There's plenty of women in this room. Just pick one out and ask her on a date, okay? It's time, okay? It is time for you to rise up and be married in Jesus' name, okay? And so don't wait. If you're waiting, this is the word of God. It is time. You're ready. And if the problems that you're working through, she's really going to be the one that helps fix them anyways, okay? So just pick her out. Work it out together. Have godly counsel all around you. If you're 12, wait. Otherwise, okay, we're ready. Everybody's ready around here. Okay, so God created the man, and he said it isn't good for you to be alone. And so he, from the flesh of man, her bone of man, rib of man, whatever, he created woman. 
and then said, now therefore go forth, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. And so they did. And then this terrible thing happened where they were tempted and they had, they walked in the cool of the day in the garden with God. They knew him. He was their friend. They talked together. There was complete communion and unity with God, the way that it was intended to be. But Satan came and he lied and he told them that they needed to have knowledge and that God wasn't good. And they trusted Satan over God and they chose sin. They said, ooh, I think I'll believe you. Maybe there is truth that I need that God can't give me. I'll eat this fruit. And that sin filled them with shame and it made them feel naked and vulnerable and they covered themselves. They tried to figure out how to hide from God, which is impossible. And they lost their inheritance. It was tragic. It was the most tragic day that ever was or could be. And they lost all of their inheritance in that moment. And they were separated from their father in heaven. And so the way that I see what happened to them is like they were like that child that got covered with the rubble of the earthquake. Just covered with weight. Impossible to get out. No matter how many fortresses or people came with trucks to try to move the debris, it is impossible for a heart to get to God without a blood sacrifice. There had to be a perfect blood sacrifice in order to remove the rubble off the top of them so they could have relationship with God. And so throughout the whole Old Testament, they would take a bull or a calf or a lamb, they would sacrifice this animal. And the blood they sh- that shed was shed from that animal. They said, okay, now this is the atonement for your sin. So you have sinned, you people. God is holy. You can't come into communion with God with your unholiness. So this blood will be shed to pay for your life, basically, your sin. And then therefore you can walk back into communion with God But then they broke it again, and then it had to happen again and again and again. So there are all these sacrifices that were made all throughout the Old Testament of these animals to try to shed the blood that that, that we should shed for our own sin. Like the payment of our life, these animals were, were paying for it. That didn't work. And it kept repeating over and over and over again. And so Jesus enters the picture and he comes and he is born of a virgin, which is just mind blowing. The Holy Spirit covers a woman named Mary and and puts Jesus in her body by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so then Jesus is born like a baby, just he's a baby. You know, I mean, it's a miracle. I loved it as a little girl because I love Jesus and I love babies. I'm like, what could be better? You know, little baby Jesus, you know? And so, but then he was there in the manger and it's like the, all, all humility, you know, it, it, he's the king of the world, owns the world, you know, and the humility of God to be born as a child. Like you could just think about that forever, you know? And grew up and was tempted in every single possible way that a man could be tempted. And he never chose to sin, ever. Not one time. Jesus never sinned. He's the only man ever that ever was on earth that has done that. It's, it's truly unbelievable. And then it came time when he was 33 years old for him to become that ultimate blood sacrifice. And so Jesus was crucified on the cross. And so you, they did, they beat him and they tore his body to pieces and they nailed him to a cross. 
and he died a gruesome death. His blood poured all out. They put a crown of thorns on the top of his head that pierced through his, his head. It was so painful. And all of that pain and every lash that they put on his back and every nail put in his hand, it was for you. He did that for you so that the rubble could get pulled off of your back and you could get pulled out of that place and all of heaven could rejoice over you. He did it for you, for you, your, you, your life. If you're in this room, you can hear the sound of my voice. Jesus died on the cross for you so that you could be saved from the rubble, from the weight of your sin, from the the anxiety and depression, from the addiction that holds you captive, from the guilt and from the shame, from the confusion of your mind, from all of the things that you need saving from. He did it so you could be saved. And so then he died. He, He didn't just hang on the cross. He died in his precious Friends pulled him off of the cross and they washed his body and they prepared him for the tomb and they put him in the tomb and they covered it, this big stone, and they even had Roman soldiers stand outside to guard the tomb. And then three days later, what happened? He rose rose from the grave and he came bursting forth and he had conquered death. And he, it, it was amazing. It's amazing. He has overcome all of it. For us, for me, for you, for our children, our children's children, for our parents, for our aunts that don't know the Lord, for the angry people that we encounter every day, for all of those people, he did it. He overcame it all. And then he told his disciples, when they were talking to him one day, he said, do not let your hearts be troubled. I want you to look at your neighbor and say that. Do not let your heart be troubled. Do not let your heart be troubled. Do not, do not. And so I think that even in that command, there implies some level of of possibility there that we can choose not to let our hearts be troubled, which sometimes feels like we don't have that choice. But do not let your heart be troubled. Jesus said, I've overcome the world. And he goes, and then I'm going to prepare a place for you. In my father's house, there are many rooms. And when I was praying about you guys this morning, I felt like there was somebody in this room that either is wearing blue, has blue eyes, feels blue, you know, something to do with blue, that needed to know that he is preparing a place for you. Maybe your whole life long, you never felt like someone had prepared for you. Maybe you always, like even on your birthday, get a sense that somebody never has had a birthday celebrated for them. And I feel like the Lord is saying, I am preparing for you. I'm in that kitchen making your cake. I'm buying the balloons. I am preparing a place for you, a home for you, a place for you to come and stay, a a little embroidered pillowcase for you. Like I am preparing a place for you. He is. And in his father's house, there's many, there's plenty of room. It isn't full. There's plenty of room for you to go into your father's house. And then Jesus said, and you know the way. And his disciples said, what? We don't know the way. Which way? What's the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus said it. I am the way. There is no other way, you guys. You will hear. It will feel like it could be true, but it's not. Being good, being kind, giving away all of your money, getting straight A's. All of, I don't care. Whatever it is you do, you go to the farthest reaches of the earth and be the nicest, kindest person on earth or whatever it might look like. 
Jesus is the only way. Jesus alone, him alone, he paid for it all. And so when we choose to allow him to have ultimate lordship over our lives and follow him, be planted and rooted in him, it is the only way that we can have union with our father and life eternal. It is the only way. Okay, and so he said, I don't know the way. Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth of life. And then he goes, it's better that I go. So his disciples were terrified and sad because they loved him and they had gone throughout the whole time. They were, he, Jesus was on earth and he did all these miracles. And so it's just unbelievable. Like, what were the miracles that Jesus did? Somebody tell me a few of them. Walked on water. Healed the blind. Raised from the dead. Yes. Multiplied the loaves and the fish. Healed the paralytic. One of them, does someone say had 12 friends? It's my favorite joke. Um, and so I, get, I share it a lot. I'm sure you've all heard it already, but it's still so funny. And so, okay. And so he, um, and so Jesus did all of these miracles. And then he said, but it's better that I go because I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And so, and the Holy Spirit is there to comfort you to guide you, to convict your heart, to remind you of things that you forget. Do you know how many times have we, oh my gosh, like I had a friend the other day that she felt like she woke up and she felt like the Lord said, open your planner or look at your calendar. And sure enough, there was this orthodontist appointment for her kids she had totally forgot about. You know, there was the Holy Spirit right there to remind her. Even just in the little things, the Holy Spirit is there for you. He's your friend and comforter. And the same Spirit that pulled Jesus right up out of that tomb is alive and active and moving in every single one of our hearts. Imagine if we all remembered realized, accepted, and apprehended that reality, and we're all waiting for that trumpet to sound. You know, it, like we were like, at a blink of an eye, at a flash, at the sound of the trumpet, he's coming back. And so we're all there, and we're, we're filled with the power of God. We're committed and serving our Jesus. We're loving one another, and we're waiting for his return. Do you think anybody is going to be offended about, like, you stole my seat? You forgot to call me back. When you said that, it just didn't sound quite right. You know, but one of the dumb things we get offended about, it's like, do you, they seem so laughable if you put it in the context of a church who's ready, you know, and filled with the Holy Spirit. It's like we start looking at each other and we're like, man, you really need to like work that through because we've got business to take care of. You know, and those others, they just feel so foolish. It's like almost like it's, it's, it's immaturity. You know what I mean? And you're like, okay, we are not four years old anymore. We got to like just move on past it, church. It's time to like eat the meat, you know? And so I'm excited about that. I feel like it's who we are already and what God is inviting us into more and more. But when we start seeing these revivals and we see these people coming, revival, the way that I see it anyway, is that it is all the things that you named, people coming out of hunger, conviction, needing comfort. And, but really the revival meetings and this thing, it's for the lost. It's for the people that the, the rubble needs to get taken off of, you know? And there's this song, it's written out of Amos 9, and it's called So Come. It's, I guess, like an older song. But it says, Behold, the days are coming, for the Lord has promised that the plowman will overtake the reaper, and our hearts will be the threshing floor, for the move of God we've cried out for will come. It will surely come. For you will shake the heavens and fill your house with glory and turn the shame of outcasts into praise. All creation groans and waits for the spirit and the bride to say the words that your heart has longed to hear. 
also come. And that's what I think of when I think of revival. That we're all, all of us who know God and are called according to his purposes that are hungry for him, our hearts are the threshing floor for the move of God. You know, and we're just waiting for it. And so when people that don't know him are coming, it's like that rubble gets pulled off and we rejoice with them. We teach them that not, they're not just saved for heaven, but they're saved to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit so they can go about and do the work of the kingdom together and wait for the Lord to come, you know? And so that's what it's all about. And it's happening right before our eyes. And I remember years ago, Tyler and I were in Redding, California, and we had this meeting with a group of us. It was when a lot of the similar times as now. Um, and we met with this man named Bill Johnson for a little while, and we were just talking about our hunger for the Lord. And I remember he looked at me and Tyler, and he kept putting his hand on his shoulder like this, and he was like, the Holy Spirit's right here. Don't, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. It's right here always. That he just kept patting his shoulder. And then he looked at us in our eyes and he goes, he goes, I'm so thankful that you're, that you're burning for God right now. He goes, come back to t- talk to me in 30 years and say you burned brighter for him every single day and then I'll be impressed. I'm close. I'm almost there. I think I have like nine years left. <laughs> it was a long time ago. And so I... I may be 10. I don't know. I'm not good at math. But anyway, I'm almost there. Over halfway. And I will. I don't know if I'll actually go and talk to him, but I will burn brighter every day until Jesus returns. You better believe it. And I think you will too, you know, but there's something about being committed. So when you follow God, I want you to put my little graphic up there about the tree real quick. So here's my graphic if you haven't seen it before, but it's like about being a tree, okay? And so you can either have Satan and demons be your source. Who wants that? No one. Or, and then that like makes your beliefs who, what they are, and then your fruit of your life is terrible. Or you can have God be the root source of your, like the root source of your roots. You have a strong trunk and you have good fruit. And it's promised in Deuteronomy 30. Okay, so I just want you to think about yourself like that tree or like this plant. And so if you just went to A&M this week and got saved and you're here for the first time, I think there could be some of you. I want you to think like following Jesus doesn't just mean, okay, now all of a sudden I have to change everything I do. What it means is that you're planted in new soil like this. And so if you choose to be planted in God, like this There's so many opportunities and ways through the church, through your friends, through your grandma's prayers you never even knew. She prayed for you for the word of God and like the environments that you put yourself in to make your little roots strong so that your your whole plant can be healthy. But if you went to the campus and let's say you got saved and baptized and then you go back on Tuesday and you're like I just really want to go party at Northgate it's so fun and I miss my friends and these Christian people are boring then you what you're going to do I'm not going to tear my plant because I like it but if you would pull yourself out of the good soil and you would go put yourself in bad soil for maybe even just a night but has anybody know enough about plants that that could cause a plant to die real fast you don't just Plant, replant, plant, replant. If you plant in God, it is permanent. It's a choice that you make forever. And so you cannot, if you go and you start saying, oh, well, maybe I'll listen to Satan's lies about me, or maybe it is really true that he doesn't love me, that 
will ultimately make your life and heart really, really sick, even if you do believe that Jesus is Lord and he has called you according to his purposes and he has glorious riches for you. If you believe all that, that's amazing, but you have to choose to plant your life and remain in God in order to be a healthy follower and a healthy disciple. And so we talked about that last week when uh, Dan, Mr. Dan Hill, who we love and am so thankful for, talked about how you know a, you know a believer by the work of their life, not just their words, you know? And Jesus said that. I mean, it's very, very clear you, it, it, all throughout the Bible. Someone can say all day long these big words, but if you got to go look at the source of their life, look at the reality of their life, and that is, shows who they really are. And I say to my kids all the time, how you do one thing is how you do everything. And so, let me, like, so if you're going to make your bed like a lazy one, you know, then that, that is what makes up who you are as a person. It's the same idea of being faithful in the little. We're going to be faithful in the little things, and that's what is the content of your character, not what you say in a big moment, because all of those little bitty choices is what creates the opportunity for you to respond well when the rubber hits the road in big, big times, okay? So there's my tree, remain in God and know that you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And so one other practical thing I wanted to share about that is like, uh, I tell this to my kids a lot, that we are all knights and ladies in the kingdom of heaven, okay? And so you've probably heard me talk about this too, but what a, a knight, ha- we all know what knights have. They have a armor, they have, they have a sword, they have a speed, they have a vision, and ultimately they have a king. And that king who they serve and love and they know, and it would be foolish to think that a knight doesn't have anything, any of those things. They know what they have in God. And so when you have this armor so you're you're saved by God who did this beautiful work of the Calvary on the cross that we just talked about you're filled with the spirit of God to do his work to walk in the fruit of the Holy Spirit love joy peace patience all of them and be anointed by God to preach good news to the poor bind up the brokenhearted we have this mission which is the great commission Jesus says all authority and in heaven and on earth has been given to me therefore go make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey all that I've commanded and know that I'm always with you, even to the end of the age. So we have a vision. We have a code of conduct, holy, which is our holiness and Holy Spirit. We have this transcendent cause, the Great Commission. We know what we're about. And we have armor, which is amazing. It's so cool. And so whenever we see a scary thing coming our way, could you imagine a knight seeing a dragon And him being like, oh, that's scary. I'm just going to put on self-pity instead. Nobody really knows me. Nobody really believes that I'm a true knight. I'm all alone. Or I could put on fear. Oh, I'm scared. I'm going to run and hide from that thing. And that will protect me. Or I'm going to put on anger and like, ooh, maybe angry. Or even just the scary things that come our way in our life. So often, you guys, we pick up other things to protect us. When the Lord is saying, I've given you my armor. I've given you a helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the sword of the spirit, the belt of truth, the gospel shoes of peace. All of these things protect us when we don't know what to do. And so we have them to defend our hearts when scary things come. But so often we choose to put on things that aren't helpful. And that's the same idea of the root source being like one or the other. And so just want you to remember that as life goes on. 
And remember this, the, the beauty of what Dan shared with us about like we know, we know a tree. I mean, we know a person by their actions. We know a tree by its fruit. Okay, so we're going to keep talking about James 3. We've been talking through James. And I love James 3. It is very simple and straightforward. And there's two different parts that I wanted to talk about a little bit with you guys today. And the first one is about taming the tongue, okay? And so I don't think that y'all need a whole lot of convincing about the power of the tongue in your life or how it's hurt how it's hurt you when someone's used hurtful words toward you. Um, it can be the most powerful weapon I think that anyone has, especially if it's someone who's supposed to be safe that's using their words in a hateful or hurtful way. But I'm just going to read um, James 3, chap- chapter 3, um, and then I'm going to start in verse 3. And it says, When we put bits into the mouth of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and driven by a strong wind, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body but makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body and it sets the whole course of one's life on fire. And it and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And so there's, there's an encouragement there. It kind of reminds me of like the, when I was talking about the Old Testament uh, sacrifice of the lambs and other animals. It's like for us ourselves to believe that we can tame our tongue is impossible, you know? And I think that sometimes we think that we have it in our own power to be holy, but we don't. And so there is this revelation there where it's saying, like, do all you can to speak like holy words, but it says right there, no human being. In James chapter three, verse eight, no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil. And so we have to have the Holy Spirit to help us, okay? And so, um, and then I'm gonna keep reading in, in verse nine. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, say it with me. This should not be. It shouldn't be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Can it? No. My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grape tree bear grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. And so it's impossible, you guys. We have to have the Spirit of God help lead, guide, correct, be our source so that good things flow from our mouth, from our life, from the inside of who we are. And another thing that I tell my kids a lot is I'm in charge of what I think and what I do. You want to say that after me? I'm in charge of what I think and what I do. Does anybody ever have a thought? You're like, I do not want to keep thinking about that. Why do I keep thinking about that? You can stop. God has given you the power in the Holy Spirit to stop thinking about things you don't want to think about. 
It's possible. And he tells you to meditate on what is noble and praiseworthy and honorable and good. And so if you're going, I cannot stop having these thoughts, then I want you to just take a minute. I want you to like do a little like back. What's the backstory? Tell me the last like five things you've read or watched or listened to or said. Were they honorable? Were they praiseworthy? Were they holy? Did they fill you with gratitude for the Holy Spirit? And or was it like that? Was that like the Holy Spirit grieved right here? Would God want to sit there and watch it with you? So if you're having a hard time with your thoughts, then you need to think about, ask your friends, what's the last five things you watched me do? Were they holy? And then that will be your answer. So then meditate on the word of God for 30 days in a row and tell me you're still struggling with the same thoughts. I think you won't be. I think that God will help you. But it doesn't just like magically happen. It's hard work. It's hard work to be the ones ready at the trumpet sound at the blink of an eye. And we're all here saying, Lord, we want to be those devoted to you. But we're, we're in it together like arms linked with one another. And so this is terrifying verse that I'm going to go ahead and read over us. Okay, it's Proverbs 6. And it says, A troublemaker and a villain who goes about with a corrupt mouth, who winks maliciously with his eye, signals with his feet, and motions with his fingers, who plots evil with deceit in his heart, he always stirs up conflict. Therefore, disaster will overtake him in an instant, and he will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. There are six things the Lord hates and seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Let's read that last one again. A false witness, say it with me, who pours out lies and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. That sounds like gossip to me. You know, did you hear what she said? I can't believe it. Did you see what she was wearing? Oh my gosh, who would ever wear that? Do you all hear, you hear that? The Lord hates it. He hates it. I don't want to be hated by God. And so we have to watch what we say, you guys. It isn't just outright lies. It is persons stirring up conflict in the community. No, no, we aren't going to do that. No way, not in this house. And it says, and if anyone causes one of these little ones to stumble, those who believe in me, it would be better if they had a large millstone hung around their neck and be drowned into the depths of the sea. That's why I always remind myself, Lord, I'm like, Lord, one word, it would be better for me to be thrown into the bottom of the sea than to let one of my words cause someone to stumble. I will not do it. And so I feel like each of us, if we hold ourselves to that level of integrity and accountability, how much more pure would our whole body be? Ready, you know, encouraging. And so... I think about my journey with my own tongue in college, you know, I would just outright lie so people would think better of me. Certainly I would shade the truth, you know, just don't look at that part, but you can see this part, you know? Um, and then I always, I talk about my kids a lot, but I always tell them too, I'm like, you know, when, when you tell the truth, it's like a math problem. And so if you have a long math problem, there's only one correct answer, but if you don't add one of the digits in there, it won't 
be right at the bottom, you know? And so the whole truth is important when you're telling the truth. And so this, this is all like a big journey for me. I even went on a talking fast in college. People thought I was super weird. I think I kind of was a little weird. But I would just like basically not speak unless someone would ask me a direct question because I was talking so much that I couldn't even like recall all the things that I said. Like I would be in a room and like if someone said, did you remember saying that? I'm like, I might have said that. I honestly don't know because I said so many things and I'm not even sure what they all are. And so the Lord started to like, like slow me down in my words so that when I chose them, they were good ones, you know? And I had to kind of, had to kind of backtrack to start again a little bit. Um, so I really worked on it. And then I kind of, and so at first I was convicted for lying and then I was convicted for shading the truth. Then I was convicted for like exaggerating. Then I was convicted, I did this all the time. I gave compliments that were lies. Oh, your haircut's so cute. But I like didn't really think it was cute. Um, and so that's a lie. And so there's a way to honor someone without lying in their compliment, you know? But I was super convicted by that. I was like, I'm lying all the time to people. And so I can still like honor them without telling a lie. I can give like an honest encouragement. But I did that a lot. Um, and it was flattery is basically what it is, you know, which is not a good thing. And I was actually usually doing it so that they would think better of my, me. Um, and then I would use my words to divide people or get my own way. Um, and then I would correct people. It's like the word pedantic, being pedantic. Um, like, has anybody ever seen the Polar Express? You know, the little kid in the Polar Express, like the annoying one? There's like, this is actually a 7.7 train engine, blah, blah, blah. You know, we always talk about that kid when our kids are being annoying. And we're like, you're being like the kid in the Polar Express right now. Stop it. And so, like, even just being, like, more gentle, and I recently was talking about, like, that person as an archetype, and then I was thinking about, like, who is the archetype that's the opposite of that annoying kid who, like, you could mess up in front of them and be like, actually, it was on Wednesday, but it was actually on Tuesday, and you just said the wrong thing. Or, like, a newlywed person, and you say their maiden name all the time, and there's someone that, like, corrects you every single time you accidentally say their maiden name, which is like, you know, it's okay, but sometimes you're just... And I thought of Alex Donaldson on the front row. She, if y'all know her, she is, like, the most gentle person to talk to ever. And if you say the wrong thing on accident, or she's just going to listen to you and just be this gentle listener because she's learned not to let words come out of her mouth that aren't holy. It's like made her be such a gentle listener. And so anyway, it's just amazing. I just wanted to encourage her. And then here's a couple stories that are one uh, examples of ways that we put good things into the kids' hearts. And so this is a little alabaster jar. And so on our kids' fifth birthdays, we did little ceremonies for them, basically saying, you're no longer a baby anymore. You're moving into like this elementary age. And we're going to put this, like, mark you with the ceremony and put identity on you in that way. And so for the boys, we gave them a slingshot and then we hid like five smooth stones all around the backyard and we had them go run and find them. And we, on each stone was a word. And that word represented a virtue that we were believing God was going to like build inside of their hearts over the next season of their little elementary school life. And we had five different men come once they found the stones and present them with that word. And they said, I'm believing for purity in your life. 
and I'm committing to pray for you that God will build that purity in your life. And so that was the little ceremony we did for Ethan and Graham. And then for the girls, we got them alabaster jar boxes and we filled them with five words. And so we had Madeline's, my daughter, my youngest daughter is five and we had her party this week. And so I brought I brought the words so you could see them. And so I sprayed perfume all inside so that whenever she opened it, she could smell the fragrant like offering that she was going to get to pour out on Jesus' feet. And I had five women in her life speak these words over her. They are love, faith, purity, peace, and kindness. And so we had these five women come around her and pray these virtues and, and, and over her and in her life that love and support her and are committed to her. And then we gave her her, her present. And so this is just a small example that I wanted to share with you. You can think of your own creative ways to build in good words in your children's life. This is putting in the good investment so that, that that's like part of their soil, their root system, you know, that they're going to draw from so that they're able to know the things that God is building in them, the soil that he's building in them and the people around them that are committed to it. So just to, so I gave you a lot of different examples of ways that you can receive more conviction from the Lord, but then also ways that you can um, put good things in to help stay your heart on what is pure. And so as we wrap up, I want to just bring our attention to the end of James 3. And so we can read it up here one more time. It talks about that there's two different kinds of wisdom. And it says, who is wise in uh, verse 13? It says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life by deeds done in humility that come from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. And so again, it's just another way of keeping that tree in your mind of of going, I want to walk in wisdom. And it says in Proverbs, the beginning of wisdom is get wisdom. You know, and it talks all about the power of wisdom and um, the beauty of, of like the, the power and presence of God in our lives that instructs us. It says to call wisdom your sister and understanding your relative. And so to have wisdom inside of your heart is to believe that, that Jesus came and didn't just save you, but gave you a new name and a new identity. It's like why we're so obsessed with fairy tale stories. You hear the story and every time at the end, you're like, and that's what we wanted to happen. The prince came and rescued the princess. Or one of my favorites is like, you know, the the, rag, the ragged kid on the street that comes to the king and gets adopted by the king and then becomes part of the kingdom. Or you find out at the end of the story that the most least likely person is actually the heir to the throne. You know, all of those stories, we love them so much because it's the story of the gospel. He has given you a new name. He's put his blood in your veins through the salvation 
And that's, with that comes wisdom with, through the Holy Spirit. Call wisdom your sister. Call understanding your relative. Get wisdom. And I think about my poppy who's gone to be, with heaven, to be in heaven. And whenever um, I would see him, one of, his most consistent, one of his most consistent greetings to me was congratulations. That was what he would say to me. And I was like, didn't know why, you know? But he would always just look at me and he'd go, congratulations. And he, like, he knew I was expecting some, he was expecting something good for me. I'd be like, Poppy, what are, what are you congratulating me for? Congratulations, you know? It just, and he had this understanding of, of God's extravagant love. I, I wasn't planning to tell this story, but I want to. So whenever my mom was little, money was short, and they would go to the, to the candy shop, and they would have these big sodas like this tall, and they would usually open them up, and all the little cousins would sit there, and they would share one of them. And one time, Poppy went, and like he went, and he got a large soda bottle for every single one of them, and he set it down in front of them. And they thought, oh, we'll get to take this home, or, you know, like, and he went down the line with the, po- the opener, and he popped every single one of them open. And then he put an extra one down, and he popped it open. And he was like, do you think that'll be enough? And they were like, oh my goodness, more soda than we could ever imagine. But there was something in his heart of like wanting to give more than you could ever ask or imagine, you know? And he did it in the ways that he could, but I believe that's what God wants you to know about today, that he wants to give you more than you could ever ask or imagine. And when I think about this wisdom that it talks about, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. I think about a meal that's brought to somebody when they're sick. That's wisdom. That's the beauty of the church. That's, that's revival, whatever you want to call it. It's the simplicity of our life. It's waiting with somebody in the hospital. It's celebrating the winning of a game or a birthday. It's the satisfaction of mowing your lawn and going, ah. Oh, Wow, it's beautiful. It's drinking sweet tea. It's watching your daughter twirl. It's rolling the windows down and turning on that favorite song. You know, this is beautiful parts of our life that are holy. That is like where we find God. I see it in the Rays and the Hodges in the way that they love their foster babies and their children and all of those here that do that hard, good work. I see it in the Roberts family being a light in education. I see it in the McKenzie's and the Pleasants and the Hales serving A&M. I see it in your college students, all of you college students who are willing to show up and be away from home and in a new place, but sit in a church building and say, teach me, Lord, I want to know more about you. I see it in the, all of you mothers rocking your babies at night and the roommates who are patient with the dirty roommates that don't do the dishes and finding God in our grief and waiting for promises and watching him making it rain. It's just we watch him and he's making it rain right before us. And so I want you to stand up. I see wisdom in this church. I see it all over you. It's dripping on you like the glory of God. And I feel like there's a specific group of people. So I'd love to have our, our, uh, our ministry team go ahead and come up because I'm going to need you this morning. And there is a group of people in this room that I felt like the Lord is like ready to release and 
The picture that I keep getting is of like this group of people in our church and it's like there's this well of water that's coming and it's trying to burst out but there's like this cork on top and the Lord is like the power of this well and the amount of water that's coming out of it it's like so powerful this cork is like shaking like on the top of it and it's like waiting to burst forth and this morning I felt like the Lord said I want to take the cork off I want to see these people released and it's the it's the Latin American brothers and sisters that are in this room and I feel like this picture that the Lord is giving me of you guys is that there, that his heart for Latin America and what he wants to do through you specifically, it's like the vital vein that runs to the heart and he's going to take what he's going to do this morning and in your lives and it's going to shoot veins all the way to the farthest reaches of these nations that represent Latin America. And so if you are here and you have Latin American blood in your veins and you feel able to or like to I'd like you to come to the front and we're going to surround you but then also if you feel called to Latin America specifically I want the Macombs if there's Macombs in here the Tuckers for sure to come forward I want us to lay hands on you too if you know that you carry it deep in your belly like a longing for revival in this place I want you to come forward and I believe that he's going to release like he wants he wants you to know he loves your language He wants you to know he loves your smell. He wants you to know he loves the way you look and the way that you talk and dance and your clothes. And like, there's like this identity piece of releasing you to be fully who you are. And then like, like watch him go. You know what I mean? Like, but there's like something he wants you to receive of honor, of covering even by the people in this room. And then I I feel strongly that he's going to start sending us out. Even just here, he's calling forth, I believe, like a stronger anointing on these people. And so come, if if you're here and you fall into those categories, please come. And we want to get around you. And I'm just going to speak. I'm going to pray over you as you come. So, Lord, I bless these people. I bless the beauty of their life. I bless the way that they have loved and served you. I bless every person that is represented by these people. There are so many of them, Lord, for their fathers, Lord, for their mothers, for their for their children, Lord Jesus, for their grandparents, God. I just see entire people groups, entire villages, Lord. And we just ask, would you let the geyser, this this well burst off, Lord, in Jesus' name. I ask that there would be church plants that are birthed in their hearts right now. Lord Jesus, I pray for hope in every hopeless situation, God, specifically over addiction, over alcohol and over drug addiction, Lord. We ask for you to break it off in Jesus' name. Father, when we pray for hope, Lord, we pray for hunger in their hearts to believe that it's possible and I ask that you would continue Lord to spark not just hunger for you to move but a a spirit of intercession for these places and a willingness to go I just see so many of you with your passports I see you on the plane I see you going to these places and loving them and so we just thank you Lord we thank you for Peru Lord we thank you for Ecuador Lord we thank you for Costa Rica God we thank you for the Dominican Republic Lord, we thank you for Mexico. God, we ask that you would come. Just start calling out. If you're not in this room and you're not up at the front, just start praying for Latin America. Start praying for these nations and ask the Lord to come and to move in power 
in Jesus' name. Amen.